But when we're talking about getting back to running, the question should really be, how long does it take me to get strong again to be able to run? And we're missing that piece. We need a certain amount of weeks of healing and strength building in order for the body to be successful again, to be able to manage high levels of load that running requires. So here's the question. How do runners like us remain active, get stronger, and heal from injuries without being told to stop running and create a healthy life for ourselves so we can continue to hit PRs well into our 40s and 50s? This is the question, and this podcast is the answer. My name is Dr. Dwayne Scotty, physical therapist, running coach, and creator of Spark Physical Therapy, where we help active adults be able to run without aches and pains so you can feel good about yourself again. Welcome to the Healthy Runner Podcast. All right, welcome and thank you for tuning in to episode 59 on the Healthy Runner Podcast. And we are live within the Healthy Runner Facebook group talking about how to get back to running after having a baby with one of my PT and running colleagues, Dr. Christine Piaton. Dr. Christine Piaton is a physical therapist, uh, DPT. She's got her MBA. She's a sport and women's pelvic health physical therapist who specializes in running mechanics and postpartum return to sport recovery. Uh, she is passionate about helping her clients feel strong and confident from the inside out without pain, leaking, or limitations. Dr. Chris truly believes all women deserve better guidance for their prenatal and postpartum journeys and is on a mission to change the conversation from, I wish someone had told me to, I'm so glad I knew. So Dr. Chris is owner of Piaton Physical Therapy in Santa Barbara, California, and founder of Mama Runs Wild, a free Facebook group that provides resources and pelvic health education to help guide women back to running postpartum with confidence. Man, that was a lot. So welcome to the show, Christine. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I am super, super excited about this. Um, guys, you can see that Christine is doing a lot. She is like pretty much like looking at her bio. She's like the female version of Dwayne Scotty here. So, but she has the expertise <laughs> in the female runner. So that's why I'm super excited to have her on uh, today. And in this episode, guys, Christine is going to educate us and change the conversation about a topic often hidden in the shadows of leaking while running and how you as a mother runner can get back the strength and confidence to return to running. So Christine is going to answer some common questions such as these, like how soon can I start running after giving birth? Can you exercise before six weeks postpartum? What exercise can I do six weeks after birth? And why do I leak when I run? So for those of you here in the Healthy Runner Facebook uh, community on the live stream, so Christine, let's get started with a nice little dynamic warm-up. I know you have to be a big fan of a <laughs> dynamic warm-up before your runs. So this is Definitely. the first question we ask all our guests. Tell us, where are you from? I kind of gave a little brief introduction, um, but what do you do? Uh, well, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and thank you for giving me some space to talk about a topic that deserves more airtime. Um, postpartum recovery and especially return to run um, postpartum. So thank you for that. Um, so I am a Southern California gal, pretty much born and raised. Um, I 
I was technically born in Dallas, but six months after that, my parents moved to Southern California. So I've spent the rest of my lifetime here in Southern California and have no plans of leaving. I love it. Um, I ventured out briefly for a few years for graduate school out in Atlanta, go Emory for anybody <laughs> in the Atlanta area. Um, but I quickly came back to Southern California as well because that's just where home is and where home will always be for me. So hence why I can sport my tank right now in, uh, in March. So, so jealous, by the way, I, I was know. telling Christine that before we went live, <laughs> I'm like, you are in a tank top right now and we still have snow on the ground over here. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> if I could yeah, send so a little bit of warm weather to you, I would. Give us a little, uh, history. Have you always been a runner? So I've been a runner since middle school. I used to hate the mile in PE class, which is ironic. Um, and then never ever thought that I would venture into the running space, let alone be a running specialist eventually as my career. Um, but in high school, I had a couple friends that convinced me to join the cross country team. And so I, I did with the plan of like, I'll give it a try for a week, but like just to tell them I did it and sort of probably like venture out. And I shockingly really liked it and was actually decent at it. Um, so I stayed <laughs> and my running kind of journey sort of branched off from, from there. Um, and I ran all the way through college recreationally. I went to college based on academics, not on my athletic ability. Um, and then in, in PT school, continued to be a runner, kind of challenged my distance running, um, ran my first two half marathons, um, ran two full marathons in, in grad school um and things and just continue to appreciate running for my own like just activity but especially to appreciating the mechanics of it from a PT side as I went through my graduate level education and then when I came out of PT school um, and started in the sports and ortho space I uh, positioned myself as a running specialist in the clinic that I was in and working for um, and so I started supporting a lot of runners in that space and so it kind of led me to continue down that path so nice nice and yeah. uh christine for everyone listening here she is um kind of in this area of kind of outside the box uh physical therapist and run coach and she does coaching so very similar to the model that i have as well so my question to you is is mm -hmm. what made you want to go into kind of this outside the traditional physical therapy <laughs> clinic model? Um, looking back now, it's easy to see like, oh, that was obviously the natural trajectory, right? But in the moment when I first graduated from PT school, um, I was very much in the space of like, I'm going to be sports and ortho. This is the area that I enjoy treating. And I had no idea that I would end up also expanding that toolbox to include women's pelvic health. Um, and through my runners actually that I supported in those um, early years working for a traditional outpatient clinic in my area, those relationships led to those female runners coming back as mother runners and wanting to get back to running after they had babies and some of which were having a lot of like back pain and hip pain and weren't able to get back to the things that they were doing. So they came back full circle. We went through a whole nother round of rehab with them and about half of them would get better with the traditional kind of sports and orthopedic return to sport protocol. And then I had half that weren't getting better and weren't getting back to the things that they wanted to do. And we were still having a lot of aches and pains and not really understanding why this group wasn't responding while my other group was. Um, 
And so that led me down a path of continuous digging with them and asking more questions and trying to figure out what the heck am I missing? And started to realize that there was a pelvic floor component. Um, and for those of you who aren't familiar with kind of PT education and things, we're not taught pelvic health education in the PT school curriculum. So this is something that PTs, if you are a specialist in this area, they have done advanced training after PT school to learn about this. Um, I hope one day it starts to get more folded into the regular curriculum because it's an important topic, um, an important area to kind of understand even on just a, a kind of iceberg level um, or tip of the iceberg level, I should say. But this is something that uh, deserves a little bit more attention and it's starting to kind of come more into the fold, but it's still really new in our medical system. So ironically enough, I started to realize, okay, this is the issue with this group, but I don't know how to treat it. I don't have the, the skills or the tools, and I didn't know anybody in my area that could fill in that gap. Um, so I luckily found that there was a public health course that was happening about six weeks from the point when I was Googling and decided to sign up for it with the intention to just still learn more and likely refer them to somebody else sort of nearby. I had still no intention of adding this to my toolbox. Um, and within that first course, it was a four day course and I immediately fell in love and was like, whoa, this is really important and we need more people able to support in this area and more clinicians in this area and like put me in coach, let's do this. Um, so I started learning more and supporting my moms in the ways that I could and just trying to digest as much information as possible since I didn't have other mentors at that point to be able to support me. So it was a lot of learning with my patients, which still happens, but um, they were super grateful in the sense that I was like, look, I don't know, but I'm willing to figure it out with you and like, we'll learn and I'll let you know what I'm figuring out as we go. Um, and so that eventually fast forward led me to open up my own practice and support patients in my own way. Since like you said, I've kind of always been a little bit of go rogue in a way. So yeah. it made sense for me to also go rogue a bit and open my own practice and um, start to really specialize in this particular area of the intersection of pelvic health and sports and orthopedic because they deserve to be intertwined. And right now the medical system treats them as being on separate islands. Um, and they are very much an integral team and should be treated and supported as such. I love it. I think that is a fantastic, fantastic way to give back to your community and to have an impact. And I'm sure you're feeling kind of what I felt when I opened my practice that just the impact that you're able to have is definitely at a different level of being able to serve that population, right? Like those mama runners that you want to, you know, be able to serve and kind of help their specific problems that they have. And it's weird. I was just actually talking to uh, my patient who was in here before where we she was, con she's considering going into PT school. And we were talking about kind of, yeah, the current PT curricular uh, education. And with me being in education, I know this is, you know, it does set you up to be a generalist where you can kind of yeah. be pretty decent at treating anything um, that walks in the door. But I think, you know, like you found and that I found working with runners is, you know, once you find your passion and like, what is going to be the thing that like 
keeps you up at night, you know, that you're thinking about the next day, <laughs> what's going to be the thing that like makes you hop out of bed in the morning and like be actually excited to go to work. Um, it's going to be the things that you're most passionate about. And I think the niche that you've really carved out is so needed. And that's why I've been really excited to actually bring you on. So I guess to give people some context here, Christine and I are in the same um, kind of business coaching program together. And that's how I got to know Christine, because she's on the West Coast. And, you know, I've been seeing a lot of the things that she's able to do and help her mom runners. And I knew that with her specialty, this was a topic that a lot of our listeners here in our healthy runner community, I'm sure would like to learn more about. And I think it's a topic that's not often talked about. And I think this will be good where you can help educate our audience and a lot of our mom runners can, you know, maybe learn some things that they didn't know that there are actually like treatments out there and that there are actually options and there are specific kind of guidelines that they should use. And there's a lot of out of date information um, in terms of like getting back to running after baby. So I am super pumped about this. Um, Thank you so much, honestly, for coming on. And so let's get into it, Christine. So let's say I'm a new mom, all right? Mm -hmm. And how soon can I start running after giving birth? So this is the million dollar question that I get asked on the daily. Um, and while I know that this is a common question, it, it's not quite asked in the way that's helpful. So I know that everything is sort of measured in weeks, right? Through the prenatal process and then also measured in weeks postpartum. But when we're talking about getting back to running, the question should really be, how long does it take me to get strong again to be able to run? And we're missing that piece. We need a certain amount of weeks of healing and strength building in order for the body to be successful again, to be able to manage high levels of load that running requires. And that doesn't magically happen at X weeks postpartum. It happens after a certain amount of weeks of strength training that's been digested in the body. And this is why when we Google this question or when I get asked this question a lot, I can't give a specific answer because it's so individual for each person. And it's so individual too, because each individual's pregnancy and delivery process is unique to them. And also different injuries to the you know, pelvic floor that can occur during a vaginal delivery and or the major abdominal surgery that a woman has to go through in order for a C-section delivery to occur creates very different healing timelines and also creates very different lengths of time in order to build strength back up to be able to return to run. So then this also becomes a little bit more challenging and problematic when we have the traditional postpartum six week visit, regardless of your delivery method, and where most women are given the all clear at that six weeks to ease back into activities, just listen to your body, but you're allowed to kind of get back to whatever you were doing, you know, beforehand. And while that recommendation, in my opinion, is, is well-intended, it is not helpful in terms of giving women good guidance in terms of understanding what their body just went through what it's currently going through in terms of healing and a lack of sleep and all of the other challenges of that, that six week postpartum timestamp in that process, let alone 
telling them to listen to their body when they're really in a brand new one and they're not told what to listen for. And then most say, hey, I'm dying to go back to running. If you were, you know, a mother runner or, you know, pregnant mother runner, we want to get back to running as soon as possible because we miss it and we love it. And I totally get that. But the body for the majority of the public is nowhere near ready to run at six weeks. Even though many are being given the, yeah, you're all clear, just ease back into it gradually. And also the term gradual is very subjective. So newer research is showing that what is a better recommendation is 12 weeks postpartum. But again, really the best answer to that question is when we have had enough time to develop enough strength to get back to running successfully is when we are ready to get back to running postpartum. And I put my clients through a movement checklist that looks at how they manage certain movements that are running specific in order to best identify, are we ready or are we not? And I'm happy to share that checklist here in the comments below after the talk for anyone who's interested. But basically it kind of goes through what is our ability to kind of do a single leg squat because running is basically a single leg squat continuously. I'm also looking at balance, single leg balance. Can we stand on one leg for a minute and how do we do that and can we manage that well? I'm also looking at, can we perform a plank well and for up to a minute? Are we able to do some jumping activities because running is also basically continuous loading with a jumping force? And then not only am I looking, can we do these things, but what how does the body feel? Are we getting any pain or discomfort? Are we getting any heaviness or leaking in the pelvic floor? Are we able to manage these pressure systems that these activities require before we even talk about the idea of getting back to running? And so this checklist not only gives me intel, but it also helps my patients have a better understanding of what pieces might still need some more focus or attention versus just saying you're not ready yet because none of us runners like being told you're not ready to run yet without context, right? So this also helps my patients kind of have a better understanding of, okay, my body is saying I'm not yet ready, but what else can I still work on? What are the building blocks and the prerequisites that we're still focusing on to get back to running? And that can happen, you know, much sooner than that 12-ish week recommendation you know, in that case, but these are things that I'm working on with my patients so that we have a roadmap and we know what we need to work on. And then we also have a better concrete way of assessing when are we ready. And once my clients can kind of pass those, those checkpoints, then we start talking about a return to run, but with run walk intervals. That's the gradual way to return versus a lot of my moms will often say, I thought gradual was like starting with a mile or two instead of you doing my six mile run, you know? But one to two miles, very early postpartum is a ton of load to be asking a body to take on when we are recovering from the epic event of delivery, as well as teaching all of those tissues and a hyper-flexible body, because think relaxin from pregnancy we don't exactly have the same proportions of relaxant hormone in the body, but there is this, what I call the postpartum cocktail that is still keeping the system more flexible. 
And this is especially present when we have moms that are breastfeeding. And that hyperflexible body continues for up to three months after breastfeeding is fully stopped. So that timeline is also really individualized because women nurse for various periods of time. So all of these things need to be taken into account, which is why this question of when can I run is such a loaded question. And this is why women, in my opinion, deserve to have someone who understands these unique needs to help guide them back to running because it isn't just these back into things. There's so many other pieces that need to be considered. Wow. So. So, wow. That was, that was a ton of information right there. I, I really, yeah. I, I would like to try my best to honestly summarize that because I think <laughs> your approach to postpartum care in a runner is really very similar to the way we care for injured runners, right? So maybe mm -hmm. a runner should perhaps approach this as if they did sprain their ankle or, you know, mm -hmm. they rolled their ankle, right? And they had a severe ankle sprain and it is going to take time and you're going to need to build up the strength in and around your ankle. Let's use that as an example, right? Before we yeah. say, okay, go out and run one or two miles. And then when we okay. run one or two miles, we might say, do a walk run. Like I might give that to a client of mine to see, does the ankle swell up and your right. approach and what you're kind of talking about is really the body went through a serious, like, like it is the miracle of life. Don't get me wrong. Like for being yeah. in the labor and delivery room for two, you know, children, <laughs> I like have yeah. a whole new found respect for all moms out there. And it is just totally amazing, right? And the whole miracle of life and everything. And but the body totally. goes through a ton of trauma, right? And especially, yeah. like I know, usually the first child, especially, can get some trauma, right, in the pelvic floor area and tearing and things like that. And then right. definitely, like you mentioned, even you know, C-section. That's like major abdominal surgery. So yeah. you're you're saying it's not so simple as to say, okay, baby's out all right, let me get back my life. And I used to run before I had the baby. And, and some runners talk about like, actually, Carrie Tullison talked about this a couple of episodes ago, how she was literally running the day of, you know, before she was giving birth. And yeah. so I know there are many pregnant moms who run right up until they give birth, and they might be itching to kind of get back, but they need to demonstrate some kind of patience and realize that, hey, now you're trying to get your body back after this major event and there are multiple mm. factors that you need to take into account before you just go out there and run two or three and prior to pregnancy running two or three was like an easy no doubt about it run right like you would never give it a second thought but now you really need to kind of change the mindset a little bit is that correct i do a lot of mindset adjusting and helping my patients to sort of understand the bigger picture of what their body is going through right now. And just because your mind is ready to run doesn't mean your body and your tissues are ready at the same pace. And often our mind is ready before our body is. And you make a great point about the idea that, you know, pregnancy and delivery are incredibly beautiful things. And mothers, in my opinion, are like living superheroes. Um, because of what they do and what their bodies had to go through and creating life and all of the things. The tissues of our body 
what they have to go through, through pregnancy, as well as delivery, regardless of delivery method, what happens to those tissues internally for the body feels like an injury. And those tissues need the same amount of support and education and expectations of time in order for healing to be most fully appreciated. But that's getting interrupted and hard for women to understand when they're being given so much of mixed information, i.e. a lot of preparation up until delivery day of how to help and care for baby. And then all of a sudden baby's here and it's like this black hole of how do we help postpartum? And then it's like, okay, see you at six weeks. And the OB has a very short window to basically assess and make sure that we don't have infection. We're making sure that if we had any stitches for vaginal injuries or a C-section, that everything's healing well, but we're just, they're just doing a quick scan, kind of like superficial level. There's no movement assessment done at all. They're not trained to assess movement. That's like asking me when the baby's ready to come out. I don't know. I'm the last person you want to ask. Okay. I didn't go through that training. I want the OB to be there to make that call. Moms then deserve to have a movement professional to be able to help them understand what does my body now need in order to build it back up to be able to re-enter whatever activity we want to do. And also, by the way, mom life is heavy lifting all day long. So it's not just about getting back to running, even though that is my specialty, but I'm helping my moms understand too the benefit of the strength training to help them get back to what they want to do, but also to help them understand how much their body is being asked to do every single day when we have little ones. Because the little ones are not getting littler by the day, they're getting bigger by the day. And so that's more and more cumulative load on their body while they're trying to heal and they're having to heal while not getting adequate recovery time because we're on maybe two hour breaks of sleep and all the other things. So the tissue average healing time, if we were in a non-pregnancy situation, i.e. a knee injury, an ankle injury, kind of like you were saying, an overuse situation, we'd be kind of coaching our patients to expect, hey, this healing timeline is gonna take a few months, but it doesn't mean that you're just gonna like sit on the couch for a couple of months and wait. We're gonna be working on helping that tissue be able to handle loading and working on strength and range of motion and all those things to lead up to it. But we can't fast forward that many weeks of healing because the tissues just have to go through that. That's an internal process. Same thing for moms, but we have a couple more pieces that also need to be considered. Breastfeeding hormones, lack of sleep, what type of, you know, delivery method they had, all these kinds of things that also need to be taken into account. But our medical system hasn't yet adjusted for that. And so this leads a lot of moms to think that they've done something wrong when their body's not ready at that six week mark. No one's body's ready at that six week mark. You didn't do anything wrong. It's just too soon. So having someone to sort of be able to explain and adjust that timeline I find is really helpful and emotionally healing for a lot of my moms, even though they're not happy to hear that they're not ready, but at least they understand why. And then being able to give them a better roadmap of how we're going to get back to it. Nice. That makes total sense in my mind. And 
Now you've mentioned the word pelvic floor a couple of times. So can you mm. actually explain what encompasses the pelvic floor? And then how do you know if you need pelvic floor therapy? Great question. So I'm going to back up one step in terms of kind of clarifying my, I would say kind of like my clinical title. So I'm a pelvic floor PT, which also can kind of be intertwined with a kind of pelvic health PT um, or women's health PT, because a lot of times too, there's this misunderstanding that if I didn't deliver vaginally, then my pelvic floor didn't undergo any issues, right? And so I don't need to see a pelvic floor PT, but we handle both, both delivery methods. And any human that has a baby your pelvic floor still underwent however many months of loading throughout pregnancy. So your pelvic floor still underwent load and still needs support and healing, even if we underwent a C-section delivery. So the pelvic floor itself is a muscular sling. And for those of you who are here on the call, I'll kind of show a visual. Sorry for anyone who's on the podcast. You'll have to Google what a pelvic floor looks like on the interweb. <laughs> or you can watch but the video version on you YouTube. You can watch the video. Here we go. So here's my pelvic model. So to orient those of you who may not be familiar with the anatomy. So here's the front of the pelvis, your pubic bone right in front. We have the right and the left half of the pelvis and then the spine in the back. All of the red structures are the muscles of your pelvic floor. And by the way, men and women have pelvic floors. They're mostly similar in terms of the anatomy structure, but there's some differences for obvious reasons. So the pelvic floor itself is all the red structures living in the bottom of the pelvis there. And it is a muscular hammock is what I like to describe it to my patients. And it's a dynamic system. So it's constantly contracting and relaxing and kind of moving like I describe a trampoline throughout our day, depending on what activities we're doing, depending on what, uh, let's say if we're picking up something heavy or if we're walking around our neighborhood or controlling bowel and bladder function, sexual function, as well as delivery of baby, right? Just to name a few things. But the pelvic floor itself, the other main component that it's responsible for is also being the literal foundation or the floor of our core system. And our core system is much more sophisticated than just the six pack ab muscle that most people think is your core. Your core is actually the, all of the abdominal muscles, the pelvic floor, the deep spinal muscles on the back, as well as the diaphragm, your breathing muscle that sits up in the bottom of your rib cage. Those four main players are your core system. And they work together to adjust the intra-abdominal pressure that sits in our abdominal cavity. And that pressure system we need in order for us to feel stable versus if we didn't have that, we'd kind of be a limp noodle trying to move around in our day and that wouldn't work so well. So that abdominal pressure system adjusts throughout the day for whatever activity we're doing. And that is all coordinated by those four team members and then insert the added challenge of a baby in that situation for nine months. And then also the sudden change of baby being earthside. And now we have a very different pressure system that's coordinating and it needs time to learn how to re-coordinate again. 
And that takes longer than six weeks. And then add the complication of if we had a C-section delivery that literally has to cut through that entire abdominal wall, all seven layers of tissue to bring baby into the world. Or if we had a vaginal delivery and we had a vaginal injury to the pelvic floor, that pelvic floor itself now isn't as structurally supportive until those tissues have time to heal. And then if we're trying to clear somebody and tell them to go back to exercise at six weeks and those things are still healing, those tissues aren't ready for loading at that volume that running requires. And then we can start to actually cause different injuries to the system or exacerbate injuries and create a longer healing window than would have been necessary had that individual been given better information. Okay, that was an excellent, excellent visual. Hopefully that was helpful for you guys uh, checking out the anatomy. And yeah, I love how you kind of describe those four bases. And a lot of people think core is like the front muscles and they forget about mm -hmm. the side muscles, the bottom, the floor, the, the roof. Um, yeah. diaphragm. You definitely don't think about that often. So thank you very much for um, work or kind of describing that. And so before, let's say six weeks postpartum, can, can a new yeah. mom exercise? And if so, what exercises would someone do before that six week mark? So these are great questions and where I like to kind of educate my patients, if I'm lucky enough to know them prenatally, they get some education about this on the front end for me so that they know what to kind of start to expect. And also, again, back to our mindset question, redefine what exercise is, because even the term exercise can be really subjective, right? We all kind of define that differently and also the intensity of what is available for our body in those early weeks postpartum versus later on. So in the very beginning stages, what I'm educating my patients to understand is really using breathing techniques to help them start to re-coordinate this core system. And that's the first level of exercise and really kind of mental and physical retraining that I like to start to integrate with my patients. And Breathing techniques are important because, again, talking about that diaphragm, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor work together as a piston system inside of that core team. So breathing is a really important kind of foundational piece of how we start to coordinate again and reflexively involve the abdominal wall and our spinal muscles for stability. So when the diaphragm is lowering to let air into the lungs, it's reflexively encouraging that pelvic floor to lengthen. When we exhale, that diaphragm lifts and it reflexively recruits the pelvic floor to lift. And this is what's happening in real time throughout our day-to-day -day with us not even having to think about it. But after we have a baby, we need to reintegrate that education system for the body because it kind of forgets how to do it. It, get, it forgets how to do it because it just had to accommodate a baby interrupting that process for nine-ish months. We're gonna assume baby full term, okay? The body doesn't revert back 
once baby's earth side, it needs some education around how to do that again. And so breathing is the first thing I go over with my patients again, because that's literally a core exercise. It's that recruitment pattern. And then we're starting to do some basic things. I often kind of have my moms on the floor. We're doing some bridges. We're doing some really, um, you know, basic kind of marches with the legs and things like that. I have some series available on my YouTube channel if anyone's interested to kind of see some progressions of how I kind of just general recommendations of how I can move patients through things. But again, it's very tailored to each individual, but just to give some, some general context is phenomenal um, by the way i actually checked out some of those videos and i actually hey. saved some uh awesome. so that i can give <laughs> to some of my runners um no go. excellent excellent uh videos that you have on youtube uh i i'm a big fan of creating content your content is high quality i love it the exercises <laughs> are easy to follow um and i love the progression that you have there like i was checking out your core series um so just everything yeah. that you're describing. So yeah, nice work. So I would highly recommend those of you who are interested in learning more, um, definitely check out Christine's YouTube channel. Uh, we'll drop the links in the comment box uh, below, as well as in the show notes on the podcast. All right. So those are the types of exercises we're starting out kind of breathing. And then when can one start? Are you starting pelvic floor activation before that six-week mark as well? Sometimes, but... I, I hesitate to say, yes, yeah, start doing Kegels, start doing all these things because that's not necessarily always the best plan of attack. Even though it's well-intended, there are times when actually increasing that activation really early on can be really painful and or create more tension on tissue that's healing if we've had a vaginal injury. Um, so this is where our breathing techniques are a really great way to start to just recruit reflexively and allowing the body to respond versus us micromanaging all of those pieces and giving some space for the tissue to heal while also again teaching it to more reflexively activate because my goal with my patients is not to teach you how to micromanage all the pieces my goal is to teach you how they integrate and you're gonna to have to think about them a little bit more in the beginning, but then with the plan to get to an unconscious reflexive place again. Because if we're having to manage all the pieces, that's not functional. And we weren't designed to be managing all of those pieces on a really conscious level. But in the beginning, some of those pieces have to be conscious so that we know what's going on with then progressing to an unconscious level. So that's really where I would recommend instead of starting with Kegels and doing all those things in the beginning, have a consult with a pelvic floor PT so that we can tell you, do you need to do that? Or do you need some other coaching of the other muscles around the pelvis to be able to best support your healing? Um, because Kegels are often over-prescribed and there's the pelvic floor and how it integrates with our core is so much more sophisticated than just do Kegels. And this is also another kind of major myth, buster, misconception, whatever you want to call it, where a lot of women are told at that six week postpartum visit, just do Kegels, just, yeah, that'll fix it all. And that can actually perpetuate pelvic pain, that can perpetuate urgency frequency, that can actually create and lead to more, more leaking symptoms. If we have a pelvic floor that's too tight, 
it's not going to be able to shock absorb well, and that can create leaking. And then if we have a pelvic floor that's not strong enough, then it can't counteract the forces that we need for day-to-day -day life or running, and then that can create leaking. So we need to know which one is it to help another runner know what's the best use for her time, because she's already limited on time, and also to be able to adjust, okay, is it a pelvic floor problem? But also the best way to support the pelvic floor is not just by focusing on her, but we also need to focus on all the other muscles that surround the pelvis. This is what I like to call her squad. Okay, we need to strengthen her squad and her. So it's not just about the pelvic floor, even though she's amazing, but she's only as strong as the rest of her team. So we need to be addressing 360 degrees around the body. And this is where women deserve better guidance and a formal assessment to figure it out. Just do Kegels. This is where I go. That's to me, that's like saying me coming in with a shoulder, shoulder pain and saying, how do, how do I fix it? And then going, just do bicep curls for a couple months and then come back and let us know if it, if it worked. I, that, that likely is not going to be an effective strategy. There might be a small percentage where that works, but they just got lucky. Just like a couple of moms will get lucky by just doing Kegels and it'll be fine. But the vast majority need more than that because it's more sophisticated than that. Just like our shoulder is more sophisticated than just bicep curls. Love it. Love the pelvic floor squad. I think I'm going to have to use that one. You got to have yeah. the squad. You got to strengthen squad. everything, right? The surrounding supporting musculature. And yeah. I like, just like my kind of pet peeve is when, you know, runners say like, oh, I know I should do strengthening. And they just mm -hmm. do a generic like hit class. And they're like, well, I'm getting my strengthening in. But like all of those exercises are on like two legs and none of the exercises are on like you know, one leg. And I'm like, well, how are you strengthening for running if you're not on one leg? Right. So what you're saying is if you're recovering from pregnancy, then you really need a kind of tailored approach and a specific approach to running and mm -hmm. working those surrounding muscles, as well as kind of balance you kind of mentioned and eventually going on one leg. So I like that the mindset is, is similar to how we're recovering from or preventing running related injuries. Um, so I like yeah. that a lot. Um, so when can moms start? And I have a feeling I've already learned <laughs> the answer to this question <laughs> from okay. what you've you mentioned before. But when can moms start running postpartum? <laughs> it depends. When you can pat, when you, yeah, it depends. When, when you can balance on one leg, when you can jump on one leg for a minute continuously without any pains, leaks, issues, um, heaviness in your pelvic floor. Um, you know, can we assessing our, our core strength? Can we hold a plank for a minute? Can we do single leg squats from a chair for a minute? These are just some of the basic movements that I run my patients through to go, hey, what's our baseline? Again, do we have the prerequisites for running in order to have earned the ability to now add loading that running requires? And then that's when we can run. So for some women, there, there are a few unicorns, don't get me wrong, where I've had some moms at that six week mark that can. And do I, do I work with them to run at that early mark? 
Yeah, because they demonstrated that their body is able to handle that load. But again, they are unicorns, okay? The vast majority, I find somewhere around the 12 week, so that three month mark to the six month mark is a more reasonable time frame. Doesn't mean we're doing zero exercise before that. I'm usually helping my clients to understand, hey, let's start to add in some low impact cardio because sweat therapy is important for the mental health and our physical health. And also starting to build up that cardiovascular training for the eventual running. But then using that window of time to build up the strength. We have to get fit to run before we can run to get fit. So many of my moms are also wanting to get back to running really soon because they wanna lose the baby weight. And I get that, but at what cost? And it's every mom's individual decision, what they wanna do. I educate all my people and I'm like, I want you to have all the intel so that you can make the best decision for your body. I see a lot of moms that start to run in order to try to lose the baby weight, but we need the strength first. And strength training is actually a more effective way to help our body manage weight. But society has sort of kind of pushed this idea of like, if we burn more calories in a session that that means better, but again, at what cost? So the other challenge here too, especially if we're managing breastfeeding is that the body is already being asked to do a lot of things. It's not recovering well for the obvious reasons. And then if we're adding running too soon, we also are at an increased risk of stress fractures during this period because calcium is being redirected away from mom's bones and prioritized for milk for baby. So we also need to take that really important piece into account and nobody's got time for a stress fracture, especially moms, okay? Or being in a boot or all these other things. So I know it can be really, it can feel really hard to have to wait, but in the grand scheme of things, I'm like, look, you get to your six week postpartum mark and most docs are gonna say you're all clear to exercise. The best thing at that point is to have your referral already lined up to see a pelvic floor PT and ideally one that specializes in running. We're also kind of unicorns, so you gotta find us. And then work with them to help you outline the next six to eight weeks of strength training, which is gonna go by in a blink of an eye, so that then you can start to have a better chance of a successful return to run at that 12 to 14 week mark. So it's really like eight-ish weeks after you get cleared from your doc. Is that a pretty soon time frame? Yeah, it's still pretty fast. But that's a much more reasonable timeline for my moms that have the capacity, both mentally and physically, to be doing about three days of strength training for about 20 to 30 minutes for a session for a good eight-ish weeks, at least. And then we can start to usually fold in some of those run walk intervals, but we're still maintaining three days of strength training. The strength training doesn't stop. The strength training stays because we need it for running. We need it for mom life and we need it to help counter the bone mineral density that is being redirected away from bones for breastfeeding. The way that we refill that bone mineral density bank account is strength training. 
So it comes full circle in all these ways. Nice. I love, I love how your um, treatment philosophy and mine are so similar because I say <laughs> strength train in order to run instead yeah. of run in order to train. And you had said, mm -hmm. you know, get fit in order to run. So the principles are the yeah. same, guys. They're the same as what you've been hearing on previous episodes. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think the biggest take home is because I do, you know, work with moms as well. And I feel like, you know, they are impatient. Like you mentioned, like, I got to get back mm -hmm. my body. I have to get, you know, back to my pre-baby weight. And I could see that being an issue where it's just a matter of, you need to be patient is what I'm hearing from you and that you do have to, it is important if you can wait out like at least that eight week period that you're talking about and dedicate yeah. to this strength training, then I think that a lot of moms will be more successful at having more long-term, right? Getting that lifestyle back where they're running regularly and not having aches and pains and not having leakage and not, you know, running into issues with, like you mentioned, stress fractures or, um, so uh, to me, the thing that I heard the most is like, you have to be patient and it's not a matter of being patient on the couch. What Christine's talking mm -hmm. about is taking an active approach and doing the specific things that your body as a new mom need to do in order to set yourself up for success in order to actually get back to running again as a lifestyle. Right. 100%. Right. And it, well. it's, it's a short term kind of, you know, halt, if you will, for the long term gain. So I know for each individual that that's their choice. Some of my moms are like, hey, for my mental health right now, it's riskier for me not to try to run for whatever reason. And I have a couple of my moms that have done that. And I, I respect every decision too many of them end up back in my office going, I wish I had listened to you because now I'm sidelined for however many weeks, months, and, or unfortunately, sometimes we create a permanent injury. Some pelvic health injuries are not reversible. We can manage them, but a lot of them could be avoided if we had a more thoughtful re-entry. And so these are the things that break my heart when I'm like, this could have been prevented for just a couple weeks of adjustments in terms of movement versus possibly having to give up some of those things or significantly modify them forever. It's not worth it. Right. And I think too, there, yes, there is so much societal pressure of bouncing back. I hate that term. That could be a whole other podcast in itself but it does create a lot of unhelpful messaging for women around the size of our body dictating a certain level of health. And I have plenty of my moms that can lose the baby weight really quickly and their body externally looks healed, but they are still managing and working through so many internal challenges and discomfort in their feelings. So what the house looks like on the outside does not tell us what's going on on the inside. And postpartum healing is so much of a building from the inside out versus an outside in. And if we can 
come at it from that perspective and appreciating the amazingness that the body is going through and give it more grace to understand that it took nine months to make the baby. So at the very minimum, you need to give yourself a good nine months plus, in my opinion, but at least nine months to also have come through a more full cycle of healing. But again, not a full cycle of healing, just chilling on the couch. Not that the babies would let you do that anyway, but <laughs> a, more, a more gradual building approach over the course of those months versus trying to get back to a version of yourself that was pre-baby at six or even 12 weeks. And again, this ties back to other unhelpful messaging of the six week postpartum visit, but also a lot of moms, if they're lucky enough to have paid maternity leave, that kind of three month mark also seems like another benchmark that a lot of women are being told that they, they should be healed and ready and everything should be back to normal. And that's also really not helpful because it's also not true. So there's some kind of compounding factors here also that feed into these challenges and the psychology and the mindset that adds to this challenge of pushing ourselves too soon that I'm often discussing with my patients and better understanding where are they at and what stories are we telling ourselves versus what stories may be more helpful to discuss and rewrite some of those stories too, because they impact our healing as well. Makes sense. Makes sense. And I think, um, you know, I think you bring up a good point on the societal pressure and I'm glad that you brought that up because I think so many moms are so hard on themselves too. They're like, they're, you know, worst critic. And so thank you for allowing them to hear that because I think they need to hear yeah. that. And Kat, Kat says that this is such a great message um, that you don't hear often. You always hear about women bouncing back so quickly in the media, but not mm -hmm. this important information. She said, a lot of new moms yeah. need to hear this. So I hope they do, Kat. And uh, Jean says, her quote sounds just like you're trained to run, not run to train that I already talked about. <laughs> um, Jean said, so much uh, good, powerful information. And uh, she also says that she was just thinking that we need to change our thinking and be more kind to ourselves. It took the baby nine months and we um, need to give ourselves time to really get fully back. Patience is key along with strength training. Yes, Jean. Yes. Yes. Jean's yes. got it. Um, so let's do one more question before we get to our final stretch yeah. here, because this is something mm -hmm. that I see a lot as well um, in yeah. the moms that I treat is seeing moms with low back pain, hip pain, pelvic pain. Mm -hmm. So why are these so common postpartum and especially when trying to get back to running? Great question. So to reiterate, basically the body needs more time for strength to reorganize the system that had to adjust and accommodate over nine months of a pregnancy. And through those nine months of pregnancy, that core team, like I talked about in the beginning, that diaphragm muscle, the abdominal wall, the pelvic floor, and the deep back muscles, they all are constantly adjusting. And some of those players are working more than others in different ways. They're not in their typical balanced system like they are in a non-pregnant body. Baby comes into the world and that system, again, doesn't just hit a control alt delete. 
we need time to recalibrate that system and help them all reorganize and re-coordinate and re-communicate again together. And often women are not given good information on how to do that, i.e. better guidance and scaled strength training because that's what the body needs in order for that to be best recalibrated along with understanding how our breath plays an important role in re-coordinating that system. And so when we don't have that information and women are kind of just given that blanket statement of ease back into things, A, we're assuming that they, that they had a good benchmark of knowing how to move prior to pregnancy, which may or may not be true. We also were assuming that they might not have had some pre-existing back pain, hip pain, other challenges that then got exacerbated through the stressful event of pregnancy and delivery. Um, and then also that pelvic floor, there's a lot of muscular crossover to the hip. There's also a lot of crossover to the other structures of the back. There's also a lot of crossover and co-coordinating amongst the abdominal wall and specifically the low abdominals with the pelvic floor. None of them are working in isolation. They are working and designed to work together as an integrated system. So if one or more of those players hasn't been given good information about how to reintegrate, then the other players start to try to pick up the slack. And there's been this kind of tug of war amongst the players which usually shows up as pain somewhere. And then we add on getting back to exercise, <laughs> which can then exacerbate some of these aches and pains if they're not being given good guidance or support while we re-enter movement. Nice, so if the foundation isn't right and there's cracks in your foundation, right? And you're not activating certain muscles, your stability's off, your strength is off, then that's what's going to lead to these common running related aches and pains that we find either low back pain, hip pain, or even I'd probably say knee pain as well. If you're not kicking in those 100%. hip muscles, uh, for sure. So actually let's yeah. cover one more topic. Cause I know that this one's an important yeah. one because this one actually doesn't even just pertain to new moms, right? This can really pertain to any women or males as well. Um, mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about leaking when running. Um, mm -hmm. First off, is that common? Is it normal? Like, yeah, let's 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 go there. Let's go there. So leaking is a symptom of the body asking for more support. It is common and more common in women than men just due to the slight differences in the pelvic floor construction. However, leaking at no point is ever normal. And I'm gonna say that again. Leaking at no point is ever normal. And there are way too many times when I've had patients come into my office saying that they were told by other individuals and most notably other medical providers that, yeah, you just had a baby, like that's kind of like to be expected. And that's, that's normal right now, postpartum. No, common does not automatically mean normal, although those two phrases can sometimes get mixed up. Leaking is a sign that that pelvic floor is being overloaded. So back to that pressure system that I mentioned earlier, that that core, those core four are working together to manage. 
if we don't have good coordination and we have an increase in that pressure system, then that pressure has to be released somewhere. And for women, it's a lot easier to release that pressure downward through the pelvic floor and we have a different exit than the male anatomy. So leaking is often then what is noticed or felt. And that can be urinary leakage, but that can also be fecal leakage. Either or, or sometimes a combo of both. And so this, like you said, can happen regardless of whether or not an individual has been pregnant or has had a delivery, although they are usually more commonly noticed following those two events because of the challenge that the pelvic floor has to go through. But those aren't necessary prerequisites in order to have leaking occur. And if we have these types of leaks, also if we identify as male and have male anatomy, that also is a similar reason why we're gonna have leaking. It's a pressure management issue that needs to be better supported. What's the reason for that pressure management issue? You need an eval for that. We need to figure out what is it that's not helping us to manage that well. Is it a pelvic floor issue? Or is it something going on, again, back to that squad of the rest of the muscles around it that are creating too much load that the pelvic floor can't respond to? Sometimes it's both. So we, we need and everyone deserves to have a formal evaluation by a pelvic floor PT. Some of us pelvic floor PTs just specialize in women. Some of them do men and women. So depending, on your anatomy and things, you may need to find a specific individual to help, but there's never a time when leaking is normal. It's a sign that the body's asking for help somewhere. So and that's is, where we come if, in to help unpack it. Yeah. If someone's had this issue for many, many years and I don't yep. know, 10 years, 20 years, like, does that mean like there's no hope to correct it or are there solutions um, in those cases? There is never an expiration date on when you can get help. Will it sometimes take a little bit longer when we've had this challenge for a while? Possibly, but I have seen patients in my office that have suffered with these symptoms for five, 10, 15. The longest out has been their children were in their thirties. They're like, my kid's probably as old as you are. <laughs> How is this gonna <laughs> like get fixed right now? And I'm like, Let's see, what's the issue? And we were able to improve her symptoms significantly with education and strength and helping her to understand better pressure management tools. The other thing too, that's just as important with the strengthening around the pelvis is also the position of the pelvis. So the bladder lives right in the front of the pelvis. I'll bust out my model again. So regardless, male or female, the pelvis and where the bladder sits is the same. So it sits right in the front. So if you're thinking about pregnancy, now we're going profile, front of the pelvis, spine back here. As pregnancy progresses, the pelvis tips more and more forward to accommodate for baby's growth, right? So we have that increased arch in the low back. That's common and expected through the pregnancy process. Once we have a baby, that doesn't automatically get reverted back to neutral unless it's given information to do so, i.e. strength and breathing education. So also if we are 
carrying ourselves in a more anteriorly tipped position of the pelvis, that means that gravity is bearing down more over the bladder than if it was in a more neutral position and having the support of the whole pelvic floor. And now add load to that. So in order to best position the pelvis for loading activities, this is why we need the squad, in addition to understanding what's going on at the pelvic floor. And what puts that position of the pelvis or what puts the pelvis in a position to be most successful is dependent on its muscular team around it. Nice, depends so upon the squad. Team approach. The squad. Depends on the squad. Like it, huh? like it. And when yeah. you mentioned core four before, I know there's probably a lot of uh, females <laughs> listening to this, but hopefully maybe some some females might be some baseball fans. I think core four, I think my New York <laughs> Yankees going back to our glory days of our core four. Uh, so maybe a couple of you might get that reference. Um, so let's get to our final stretch. So if you can choose one thing about the misconception of returning to running after having a baby, what would that be? It would be that you need to get strong first in order to run versus running to get fit. So get fit to run versus run to get fit. And that that process does not happen magically at X weeks postpartum. Love it. Love it. And I think just kind of recapping for those of you who are like just jumping on here now, just recap, Christine shared some great, great answers to some common questions. We covered like when you can start running um, after giving birth. And from what I learned, there's no set number with that. And it is going to depend. There's some gray area there that we don't like to hear the word, you know, the answer, it depends. But um, how do you know if you need pelvic floor therapy? So you really got into the anatomy of the pelvic floor and what actually are the components of the pelvic floor, as well as like when we can start exercise um, postpartum what specific exercises you can do um, when a mom can return back to running um, postpartum and why so many moms do have low back pain, hip pain, knee pain. And then we also got into leaking and is it, um, it is common, but what I learned is it is not normal. And there are some solutions, even if you've had it for years. So that I'm sure is hopefully reassuring to some of you listeners out there who are having um, some of these things and you just figure that, you know, there's no hope or this is just par for the course, right? It's just, Hey, I had a baby and you know, that's just one of the blessings of being a mom, right? And you just take it. So hopefully you learned a little bit something um, during this talk and, and I'm sure there's going to be many runners, Christine, who um, really enjoyed what you had to say learn some new information, if they would like to learn more about how you help mother runners, um, how can they learn more and find out more um, about you? Um, I will list some of my contacts in the comments below, but you can find me on Instagram at PiatonPT. Um, you can also, if you're interested in learning more about kind of your pelvic health and running related topics and things, I, my Facebook group that is totally free, Mama Runs Wild is a great resource and I throw a ton of information in there and also go live once a week on various topics. Um, so that can serve as a really great resource too. 
Um, my YouTube channel has all kinds of information as well as kind of some suggestions on exercise progressions um, to kind of give some guidance around where to start if you're brand new to strength training. Because while I know we talked a lot about why strength training is important, it can be intimidating to know where to start. Um, so not to say that that's a replacement by any means for seeking out individualized care, but to give some you know, suggestions on where you can start to explore. Um, and they're kind of divided up into some beginner, intermediate and advanced levels. So it gives some guidance and context for what you're looking at. Um, those are probably the best places to find me. I do have my website too and things like that, but I'm on all the different socials. So if anybody has any questions or needs support, or if you um, feel inspired to invite a pelvic floor PT on your healing team, um, and need some help finding a pelvic floor PT. I'm also happy to serve as a resource and give some guidance on how to find one and things like that. Know that not all pelvic floor PTs understand running mechanics. So sometimes you may need to find a running PT, let's say like a Dr. Duane, and then maybe you need to also invite a pelvic floor PT onto your team to kind of help you tag team and have those clinicians chat with each other to help you. And then sometimes you can find unicorns like myself that are a combo, but you gotta ask. Not all of us are automatically um, trained to know both. That doesn't mean that we don't exist and that you shouldn't try to find us, but just to give context so that you don't feel um, like you can't find somebody. It's because there's not always the combo, but you can, you can bring the combo together. Nice, thank you for mentioning that. And guys, if you found this talk helpful, please hit that like, hit the love button. Um, if you're watching within our Healthy Runner Facebook group, um, show Christine some love and we appreciate her honestly sharing her expertise with us, educating us um, during this talk and taking honestly time away um, from what she needs to be doing uh, with her business right now or with her family. Um, so thank you again, Christine, honestly, uh, for taking the time here. This was fun and it was definitely a topic that we have not covered before. So I appreciate you. I'm so glad I could be here and it was an honor to be able to share some time together and to talk about this particular topic that you know deserves a little bit more attention and some sensitivity around all of the pieces that are going on. So um, I feel grateful to have been here and thanks for giving me some space to chat about it. Of course. Thank you again. And thank you, honestly, for all of you listening, whether or not you listened on Facebook, um, you're listening to this on the podcast during your run. And those who caught the replay, either in the Healthy Runner Facebook group or on the Spark Your Training YouTube channel. Remember, every Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we go live to answer your running related questions on topics to keep you active, keep you healthy, so you can just keep running. Until next time, guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Healthy Runner Podcast. Can I please ask you for a couple of favors? Can you subscribe to The Sucker wherever you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever so you never miss another episode? You'll be notified when a new episode drops every Thursday. Can you also please leave me a rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts? What I want you to do is to tell them how awesome you are as a runner and then tell them what you have liked most about the show. I love to hear what you have to say. I read all of them and it means a lot to me. If you haven't seen the video version of this podcast, then head over to youtube.com forward slash spark your training. 
and you can see the video version as well as our full video library of exercises that are specific to your running on the Spark Your Training YouTube channel. Also, if you like the content in this podcast, then you will like the community even better. Head over to our Healthy Runner free Facebook group so you can get all the bonus content, blog articles, and get your questions answered by myself and our team of Healthy Runner coaches. The fifth and final thing I want you to do is that you can help this podcast out by taking a screenshot wherever you're listening, whatever episode, and put it in your stories on Instagram and tag me. That is at sparkyourtraining. If you do this, I'll give you a shout out and repost it, sharing your running wins while listening to the podcast. More importantly, we'll be able to share this information with a lot more runners because that is the goal, guys. We want to get this information in front of as many runners as possible to help them stay healthy so they can stay on the road doing what they love. So take a screenshot, share it on Instagram stories, and tag me in it. You can also find out how I help runners as well as our brand new Healthy Runner Strength Program by visiting our website, sparkyourtraining.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I just love our Healthy Runner family. And remember, guys, let's stay active, stay healthy, and just keep running. Until next time.